Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. This is England is Burning. It is Monday, recording on a Monday, November 15, 2021. This is your Chelsea Women Weekly Feature. We have back with us this week, Rob Prattley from the CFCW Social, uh, back with us after a pretty resounding a uh, couple of matches from la- from the last week um, by the Chelsea ladies um, so forth. So welcome back, Rob. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to begin again. Um, it's great to sort of be back and to already, you know, uh, sort of, yeah, to have enjoyed what I think, you know, the week, I think the phrase is if Carlsberg did weeks, it would be something like what Chelsea have had in the last week. Yeah, and I mean, there are two games to discuss, but I think the big one that's worth discussing more and in more detail is probably the Manchester City match. It was a 4-0 uh, at the Academy Stadium. There are a lot of resounding superlatives and first-time things going on there. But let's start with uh, with uh, Servette. Now, m- my understanding, Rob, uh, then that Servette match, if you weren't didn't know it was ended up being 7-0 for Chelsea at Servette over the over during the midweek. Um, so, Rob, um, I know that Emma Hayes was not happy after the last league match over the last weekend or the weekend before last and so forth. So was there a message that needed to be sent or, or a message that Chelsea was sending in this particular match where it just completely survived with completely bulldozed? Yeah, so I think the one message that Chelsea were really sending was that they were definitely sort of wanted to make a statement and wanted to put something out there. Um, I I think personally, I remember back to December last year when Chelsea played against uh, West Ham in the Conti Cup semi-final last year. And that one, that game ended 6-0. And in that game, West Ham hadn't played badly, but they were just completely utterly trounced by Chelsea and torn to pieces and I think it was worth, you know, this was the sort of situation where if Chelsea, it was almost, you know, a begin again, a sort of another reset button um, in a way. And it was really, really important for them from their perspective to sort of put a performance like that out, especially after the way they played against Villa. Yeah, and... It just was a situation, and we're not going to go too deep in this uh, at all. Um, you know, it was a situation where, you know, one club was way above and from technical ability and and um, you just physical ability standpoint on the pitch was clearly way above the other. But it looked like, you know, it was, you know, a team that was like, yeah, we're just we're, we're going to try to we're going to right some wrongs today. And, mm. uh, and they, sh- they came out early. They came out fast. I mean, what it was what five, six nil by halftime. Yeah. Yeah. Six, six. Nil. But, I mean, you, you can call it what you want, but it really was just an absolute, uh, an absolute sort of mismatch. And I mean, I think it is worth at this point noticing, because I've heard, I've seen a lot of unfair comments about Savet and I think it's worth, you know, providing with some element of closure here is that um, Savet, are obviously a really different stage of their footballing life. I mean, if you wanted to compare them to a side, and, you know, I'll, I'll get it in here. I've been accused on this uh, before trolling and, you know, of making derogatory comments about certain sides on a regular basis. And, you know, I, I feel that's a little bit unfair. I don't tend to do that. But I'd compare them to, say, Manchester United. Now, obviously, Manchester United is slightly better because they only lost 6-1 against Chelsea. However... Um, when it came to sort of the way Savet are, they're in a similar situation in that they're a club, you know, that are on the up and they're recently just coming into 
the European Four. They won their first. They've been around for a lot longer than Manchester United, but they won their first title sort of for a while last year. And it was important for them just to be at this stage. By being at this stage, you know, it was already an achievement for them. But I think, you know, the game against Chelsea, especially in the first half, will have felt like death by a thousand cuts because they were just so comprehensively outclassed and, you know, outmatched. Yeah, I, I mean, so the the running list of, of goal scorers, and it just was a situation where you're watching the game and, and, the, and the defense was constantly chasing. There were spaces everywhere. There were open passing lanes everywhere, open players pretty much all over the place. And the poor goalkeeper for Sivet was just left to deal with a barrage. Uh, I mean, Leupold scores in the eighth minute. Eight minutes later, Kirby scores. Two minutes later, Kerr scores. Two minutes later, Kerr scores again. Um, Kirby scores six minutes later, and Fleming finishes off the half in the 38th minute with a goal uh, and so forth. And then um, right and just finishes off at, you know, in the 50th minute to, to pull, make it seven. Mm. Um, I, I, you know, it, it looked to me that you put Chelsea pretty much against anyone in that particular match and they would have easily won comfortably. Um, this was comfortable. Um, that that's basically all I could really say for it. <laughs> do you have anything else to add? No, I do want to say at the same time, I think it's important to, Sort of no. I mean, this was the sort of game where if Chelsea wanted to, I think you know you could have seen uh, sort of double figures if they wanted. I think it needed to be fifteen in order for them to break the uh, group stage record, which I think Wolfsburg has set with fourteen when Pinella Harder scored for like eight in a game. Um, you know, as she usually does. But I think it was important to say, you know, at the at the fiftieth minute when it became seven nil, I think that sort of became the end game in a way for Chelsea. It was nice to see. Uh, Mara Mielda come off the bench and, you know, great to see her back. She's such a huge part of um, sort of Chelsea's side. And obviously, I think in a way, uh, from when she sort of left to when she's now come back, everything has changed um, because it's such a big sort of situation um, with a, a real different situation at the club, obviously. Reach your first Champions League final, that disappointment of that final, and now sort of a complete change of system. Um, it means that they've now, you know, she's dealing with a complete different environment. It was really telling how, with that game, I think Emma Hayes is like the, one of the first things she said after the game was the thing, you know, the success today was not the game. It was Mara Mielda coming back to mm-hmm. sort of form of fitness because I think she offers so many options to the squad. And what option, what in terms of how the game, the board has changed? Because, of, I mean, yeah. you're absolutely right, um, Rob. The board has changed. The entire the environment has changed. The, the, the feel around this team has changed. Um, the culture hasn't, but the feel around this team and how this team seems to be viewed has changed. What does Mialda coming back, what does that bring to Emma Hayes that wasn't there before two weeks ago? Yeah, I know places online have said in recent sort of days that, you know, Chelsea are in a sort of in a transition and they shouldn't expect much this season. But I don't think Chelsea, I almost do understand what they're coming for, with forward with something like that. But then I also, I do wonder in a way that are they perhaps forgetting what Chelsea have always sort of always been about in that even when they've been in periods of chaos and turbulence, they've always been able to come out and win trophies. And I don't think Chelsea can have a transition in the sense of, say, like, you know, maybe you'd say Manchester United are having a transition this year. 
um, in that they're sort of you know moving to a new manager, new sort of way of approach, a lot of new players in the squad trying to play a more expansive game. I don't think Chelsea can afford to sort of have that. I don't think they can afford to be invisible in a sort of, you know, in a season because people expect them to be so effective and be up there. And, you know, they can't really, obviously with Manchester City, you wouldn't expect them to be in this situation now. But, I mean, I think that, I think you have to say that Chelsea couldn't afford to have a season like that and wouldn't be allowed to have a season like that. Yeah, and and I think that's a really, really excellent point and, and uh, probably the best said that I've heard, that sort of pro- thought process that I've heard because because when you reach certain heights, there becomes, the, it sets a precedence. And once that precedence is set, then it's not, it's really hard to shake it. And when, and when that precedence has been for a long run of, of years, then that precedence becomes even more solidified. And then, so if there's mm-hmm. any type of slip from that precedence, then it's shocking. It's completely like not doable. It's not allowable. And you do see it on, you know, you see it with the fan base for Manchester United's men's team is that there's such a high bar was set that is absolutely unsustainable and also completely unrealistic in this current age and environment and football period. But fans still go back to that precedent and they cannot fall out of that zone of it's, you know, top of the league or else. And Chelsea's kind of in that boat now where precedent has been set over many years, a slow build, but a lot of success that the idea of Chelsea not winning a trophy is complete. Probably is a abhorrent idea uh, that it you know that there's no way there's no way that the team could you know it's not doable it's not happening um, and but then the, the what that doesn't take into account though it, and you tell me if I'm wrong Rob is that the board has kind of shifted in the league or the board has shifted in terms of how the Champions League is set up the board mm. has shifted in terms of how the FA Cup is being played. All of those things are playing into an effect here. Um, meanwhile, you know, you have to deal, Chelsea itself is having to deal with, with personnel changes, uh, formational, tactical changes, uh, and so forth. Some in bringing it back to Mielda, Mielda, you know, got injured in the Conti Cup final and, you know, has been out all the way until now and is now just coming back and, um, and now coming into this sort of, you know, kind of changed environment. Um, and one wonders, is that going to change the system? Is that going to change to tactics or and so forth? Because when we talk about the city game, there was definitely a switch that was made um, in personnel and in tactics wise between the first and second half due mm. to performance reasons. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's an element of what people would call the jump then fall, I think, the, the jump then fall situation in that Chelsea last season had such an impressive season and they, I think, you know, matched their minimum expectations, possibly even exceeded them by reaching Champions League. And then there was the fall of losing that final and then also, you know, losing on the opening day. And I think gradually we're now starting to see them get going again. It's taken a little bit of time, but it's starting to sort of tick on, but they're slowly getting people back to full fitness and players are sort of fitting into that system. And I mean, you know, the last time Chelsea played at Academy Stadium, it was just sort of segwaying towards that sort of match. Last year was sort of a 2-2 draw. And while Manchester City had their, you know, full complement and full roster, I think Chelsea 
played better overall. I think they played better in the second half yesterday than they did in the 40, you know, in those whole 90 minutes at Academy Stadium last year. And I think that's the big thing for me from a perspective is that you see that sort of significant change. I think, you know, from a long story short perspective, you're looking at a Chelsea side that is only going to get better. And it started a bit slowly, I think. But now, gradually, things are just starting to tick together and results are starting to tick together, even if performances aren't. And as things, you know, players get back to full fitness and get to full sharpness and players start to come into their own, that then, you know, provides a selection headache, but it also gives more options. Yeah. And do you know sort of the timetable or the roadmap of, of Mielda kind of coming back to more regular playing time? I I'm informed that the sort of plan is hopefully a bigger involvement maybe in this Savet game and then maybe you're looking at post the FA Cup final. Um I think she probably won't be risked for the FA Cup final just because of the nature and magnitude of the game. And I think it's, you know, wouldn't be fair to sort of throw her back in sort of for it. I'm sure she'd definitely be up for it as well. But I think, you know, it's it's important to remember that you don't need to just sort of throw her in immediately Chelsea aren't in a situation like you know Manchester City and it'll sound a bit mean if I say this they're not in a situation where Manchester City are not in a relegation battle in any stretch of the imagination but they are underperforming and because of that underperformance they you know people expect them to do better and so I think players you know when they come back it's going to be really difficult from Manchester City's perspective when players come back for them to hit that form immediately and to sort of be at that level they need to be because people are suddenly going to expect them to be so much better. And to be bluntly honest, it's not going to happen. They're not mm. going to be that much better very quickly it, it, because now as we were, I'm going to segue us into the, the, the city match because, um, because it was really hard to kind of predict um, and forgive me, everyone. I have uh, landscaping people all around and so forth. And this is what the, this is what the fall is like in Georgia. You know, there's a lot of tree limbs and leaves all over the place. So it's, it's a complete, uh, it's the world of leaf blowers here. Um, but forgive me. And by the way, just smash a like on this video if you like all the noise. But no, smash a like on the video, subscribe, share with your friends. But going back to the city, um, I know this is a Chelsea show. But this whole thing, this four nothing, should not have happened. <laughs> yep. It just shouldn't happen. It should not happen. And 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 I'm going to get into the reasons why as we talk about this. But um, and I kind of lost my 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 train of thought. But but in this though, you have a manager in Garrett Taylor who should have known what was coming. Yeah. And clearly didn't know what was coming and acted as if it wasn't going to happen when everyone knew it would. He, you know, it, it, the thing of it is, is like we can talk about how the injuries have affected the squad. We can talk about how many players are out. We can talk about a third string goalkeeper who, you know, uh, unfortunately for her is making, you know, multiple mistakes, mm -hmm. trying to be a sweeper keeper and is not a sweeper keeper. That's one of this and that in of itself is the problem. The problem here is this, is that Garrett Taylor has installed a system that has been passed down through the entire uh, labyrinth of the city process 
to the squad and he's installed it. And regardless of who plays in the system, the system still survives, irregardless of, of who is playing in that system and whether or not they can actually perform in it. Mm-hmm. And there is no tactical acumen beyond that, and there is no tactical shift. And so you have a third string goalkeeper who is playing as a sweeper keeper who clearly is not. But do you change your strategy? Garrett Taylor says no. <laughs> so, so, and that's one of the problems. Also, you know who the back line is going to be. You know, you this is the same for back line for weeks now. No change in strategy there either in terms of how, you know, how the, the game is played and the, the tactics that are being used and so forth. So, so going back to Chelsea now. All right. So with Chelsea going into this particular match, um, you know, they started at a three, four, three. And I would say, Rob, in the first half, the two zero line at the half was very flattering for them. Yeah. I mean, I think the best way for me to say it was we were happy with the scoreline, but not with the performance when it came to, you know, me analysing it for friends. Yeah, and, you know, because aside from a yet another Manchester City mistake, and it was a very clear-cut Manchester City mistake, again, you have yeah. a situation where, where where the goalkeeper has the ball and is passed in the wrong place, and, you know, the pressing that Chelsea did, um, which actually Chelsea struggled with throughout the first half, but it just happened to work first thing with Jesse Fleming getting that ball and then, you know, converting it to a, you know, converting it to a goal. Um, you know, it, the, the pressing of it, the pressing that the front and three were, were doing wasn't there. Um, wasn't, it was a little bit disorganized a little bit and so forth. And so Manchester city had several different chances um, to put things together, which, Luckily, they weren't able to convert um, because they probably don't have the players on the pitch to do it. But, um, I mean, your thoughts in terms of the front three, your thoughts on the pressing, what what are your thoughts with that? Yeah, I mean, I think in the first sort of half, I could tolerate it to a point because I could see what the idea was. It was trying to, where possible, uh, force Manchester City into mistakes. And I think... You know, with the performance of Taib in the previous cup game, that's when you sort of knew that Chelsea were going to try something similar. I think it would have been really interesting to see if Chelsea hadn't had the lead, if they'd have kept up this tactic. Because they had the lead and didn't have to work very hard for it. Because, yeah, let's face it, it was a clear... What really baffled me about the goals, I've said to someone else, having watched back on it, as soon as Taib gives the ball away, Taib goes to the left. And pretty much invites Jesse Fleming just to go around and put it into the empty net. Now, I appreciate, you know, it might be nerves or something like that, but surely you stay up, you make yourself big. If you need to, you foul the player. Literally, yeah. all she just sort of did was, well, I've made that mistake, so sort of we're getting punished for it. I think, you know, Jesse Fleming's reaction, even she, you know, she looked up to see if there was a foul or if, you know, there was something to disallow the goal because even she couldn't quite believe how sort of easy it became. Um, and I think, you know, from a... From a Manchester City perspective, it's almost become a little bit treacherous in a way um, because there are so many players, and I think it comes up to the system thing, there are players in that defence that are good footballers. Um, You know, 
Mm-hmm. Tony aside, I think it's fair to say Alex Greenwood, very good footballer. Demi yeah. Stokes, very good footballer. Georgia mm-hmm. Stanley, very good footballer. Jill Scott, very good footballer. However, it's the lapses in concentration that I think is the real, you know, the real issues. And I personally, I would like someone to tell me why, if, you know, you've had the issue against Chelsea a couple of weeks ago from playing out from the back, why you just continue to do it and why that was the first thing they wanted to do. And I don't understand why they didn't just go long, especially with Ellen White playing up against, you know, the centre-backs. I appreciate it's not really Manchester City's typical style, but I think, you you know, they didn't really make any use of Ellen White during the entire game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they, and they didn't. And, and there had been, to be fair to Manchester City, I'm going to be, this is where I'm going to, this is the fairness part of the, the discussion mm-hmm. uh, for, for Garrett Taylor. There were a couple of games that City played where they played a little bit more forward or at least tried it and they were they were actually at times successful at it i know that that's not their game and so forth but that's sort of what i was talking about is like okay why play out from the back why put your goalkeeper on any more pressure on herself than she's already got by having her handle the ball for example, you have you have and it goes back to what Josh said back when City lost to Arsenal 5 0. This is still a world class squad. This is a bunch of international athletes here, aside from the goalkeeper, a bunch of internationals here. But you have to play to the strengths and also limit your limit your your limitations. And that didn't happen. And so it put them uh put City in a position where their lapse of concentration, people not knowing where to be, um, Ellen White being completely absent. I don't know. I don't. I recall her being on the field, but I never. I don't think I saw her on the field, um, and so forth. And that's. I put all of this as far as from Manchester City, pretty much all of it on the manager in this case, mm. except for poor Lauren Hemp. Now, um, yeah. <laughs> because Lauren Hemp, I think, is the only one on the pitch that was like. 90 minutes of doing something uh yeah. regardless of what the scoreline read and and so forth so uh but there have been there have been times where cities had success being more forward moving the ball faster moving it to a playmaker instead of someone uh front and send to a center back or a fullback who doesn't know how to handle the ball um you know etc cetera, etc cetera. but they went back to back to the same tactic that hadn't been working the start of the season and wasn't going to really work here because you're facing a side that's too strong, but to the, to Manchester city's credit after the goal, they went, they did go with their plan and it started to work a little bit in the first half. But I, what do you, I mean, I don't know if you agree with that. And if you do, why do you think that was the case from a Chelsea standpoint? I think it was really interesting what you said um, from the Manchester City perspective. I think they might have felt they were a little bit out of the woods in uh, recent games by playing more on the sort of front foot, taking that approach. They obviously had some good results, I think, at Leicester in the Conti Cup and then also yep. in the league. Mm-hmm. And obviously in the game, I think against Leicester in the league, they also conceded very, very early. I think it was uh, yep. Jess Sigsworth in that game getting yep. the early goal. And it was just a bit odd because even though they conceded early and besides Lauren Hemp aside, because I think Lauren Hemp played well, they obviously had the effort through Caroline Weir. But besides Mm -hmm. that, they didn't really create an awful lot. Um, And I kind of felt that Chelsea, 
Chelsea sort of, I think, had a bit of a game plan in a way. And mm-hmm. they were happy that, you know, there's Lauren Hemp and they'll get Erin Cuthbert every time possible to show her around the outside and not let her cut inside. And every time they sort of do that, they, you know, other than that, the defence was sort of at peace wherever possible because there wasn't really anyone getting up Vellum White. There wasn't anyone moving in behind. The fullbacks weren't getting forward. And it, it strikes me as baffling because that's something you really, really associate with Manchester City, certainly me as a Chelsea fan, is mm-hmm. the fullbacks bombing on and supporting the wingers, which allows yep. people like him to cut inside. And then you form overloads. And especially against the wingback system, that's what you need to do against the wingback system. You need to pin the wingbacks back. So rather than them playing as auxiliary midfielders or sort of as wingers, they need to be playing as fullbacks and you need to be testing them defensively. Um, and I think, you know, Manchester City, for the most part of the first half, did well to stop Chelsea from creating anything. And I think Chelsea's press was a little bit confused. I think Jisoo Young struggled to really get on the ball, struggled to dictate tempo, because I think she struggled against the three-person midfield. However, it was really interesting that the one time Chelsea really did get a chance to sort of break through that and to did a chance to break out of the um, sort of uh, defence in that time right before uh, halftime, they did it so well. And obviously you had that brilliant sort of move, G's brilliant cross to the back post. Mm-hmm. Whiten sort of heads it back across and, you know, so it goes. As soon as it's back across, you know that Sam Kerr is there. You know Sam Kerr is not going to miss from that position. And no. suddenly you're in a situation where, again, being sort of, you know, the superstar player that she is, she's not going to miss from there. But suddenly you know that, that's when, from my perspective, as soon as that goal went in, it was a case of how many Chelsea are going to get here. Because the second goal, the timing of it and the nature of it just completely knocked the wind out of the Manchester City sails. And I think it, before we go on to talk about the second half, it's important to talk about the other big moment in the game. Because obviously there was Anne Berger came out and it looked initially, and I watched it live and I thought it was a 50-50 challenge between her and Lauren Hemp. It was a poor back pass from mm-hmm. Aaron Cuthbert. Hemp pounced onto it and Berger came out. And this one I can see, I can say in real time, I can understand why the referee didn't give this one. Because mm-hmm. I think in real time, it was incredibly hard. It just looked like a collision yeah. of the two players. Berger came out and, you know, I can. I think in the end, the free kick actually went to Chelsea. So I can understand why in real time you give that. However, this is, again, my argument of VAR. And firstly, the lines, the lines person should have been in the position where they could give the decision because they should have been ready to go up forward and give the decision and to help out the referee. Secondly... If there was VAR, as soon as you watch one replay of it, it clearly showed from the right angle that it was a foul by Anne Berger. It should have been a penalty. Whether it was a red card or not is another debate. I personally subscribe to the view it probably wasn't because I think even though it definitely was a foul, I think Hemp had already had the opportunity. It wasn't necessarily a clear goal-scoring opportunity. Um, and I think the double jeopardy rule sort of applies when it's the goalkeepers. And Berger wasn't trying to just specifically just take out um, Lauren Hemp. She was trying to get the ball. And it wasn't a situation, you know, that she was literally just malicious play. It was just, you know, a situation where she got it wrong. And I think, you know, Chelsea did at that point after that sort of goal say to Berger a little bit, you know, you need to calm down. You need to not be having the rushes out of blood. And Chelsea stopped playing it back through the defence and playing mm-hmm. it back to the keeper as much, because that was causing problems and allowing Manchester City to step on with the press. And it was actually through doing that and not playing out from the back, um, playing it longer, that led to the second goal, because Manchester City had the possession turned over, ball through, as we said, sort of to G, and G sort of, you know, does the rest to Wrighton and to Sam Kerr. 
And as soon as that sort of happened, I think, you know, Chelsea went at halftime probably a bit baffled that they were 2-0 up. Um, mm-hmm. Probably, you know, you're not sorry being 2-0 uh, up against, you know, Gareth Taylor's Manchester City. But in... Look, I'll be honest, in my... You know, the way it ended up ending up with the final score, I think, you know, in my wildest dreams, I wouldn't have expected at some point to go and see Chelsea go to Etihad campus and quickly walk over Manchester City. Etihad campus has been a really, really tough place for Chelsea to go. But I think in the second half, they did... And Emma Hayes said to this, they played like champions and they played like the side that you know they can be. And in many ways, they were just untouchable. Yeah. And with that being said, and, and that speaks to a lot of things that we were talking about earlier, because, you know, this is the first time that Chelsea has won at the Academy Stadium in the league um, in, I don't know, forever. Um, the first time ever. You know, um, and, you know, that's an important landmark for, for two reasons. One, precedence. There's been a precedent set that you go to Academy Stadium and you're not going to you're not going to get three points out of it. That's a precedent that they set. Now that's gone. That that inevitability, that invincibility is out. So then, secondly, it points to where Chelsea is, where Chelsea is at now. Um, you know, versus where they have been. So that's another kind of check in the box that you know of you know what this particular boogie situation, boogeyman scenario that we talk about with certain places and things, you know, is, is off the map. So that's yeah. gone. Okay. It, and that's the one, important. That's the one team important. Chelsea have played in the league yeah. that they've never before beaten. Right. And it, you know, and it's it's, it's finally, you know, they can now take it off and say they've beaten every single one of those. They, they can shake it off in terms of that tag that they've never beaten Manchester City. Right. Exactly. And so then the second piece of it going to, um, you know, going to going to the um, the burger, you know, collision with with Lauren Hemp, um, and, and, and we're going to have that at referees forum. I know I've been teasing y'all about this for really weeks now. We're actually going to have it. We're going to record it tomorrow, but um, so we we're not going to go too deep into this right now. But I will say this is that I completely agree with you, Rob. When I saw it live, and that's what the referees have to go by is live in the moment, you know, full speed. Um, it looked to me like a 50-50 ball. Two players collide. They get both of them get hurt. One little bit more sound looks a little more serious than the other with, with AKB. Um, and that's that. Um, I in real time would have not called that a foul or a penalty or a red or anything like that. Now when you when it was and it was like I, it was on TV when I was watching this um here you know they replayed that like 40,000 times <laughs> you know and so and then with from different angles of course and everything else where i was like mm, you know if this was a var decision again not getting too deep into var and all that but i was like you could make a case for a penalty i don't think you could make a case for a red because it wasn't you know, double jeopardy, as you said, but also it wasn't clear. Clearly, AKB was not trying to take out anybody. Um, that wasn't the goal. <laughs> the goal was to get the ball um, and to stop someone from scoring. That's basically it. So you could make a case for a penalty uh, there. But that was after further review in real time. That, to me, was a 50-50 collision. And then you give a free kick and, and that's it. Um, so 
so those that was that but it was a big moment and for me uh but also the third thing you talk about g and i really love watching g play g is one of my favorite players on this team um because of of, of exactly what she did um, at the end there yes she had been struggling with the midfield struggling to get you know some consistency going but you but city gave her space and gave her space to do her thing. And she lofted that pass. And at first it looked like it was an overshot, but then you realize <laughs> as the ball is coming down, no, that was not an overshot at all. That was, uh, there's someone at the other end of it. I mean, that was a brilliant pass. If you could call it a pass, yeah. you know, yeah, it, it was brilliant. Chip, chip, yeah. Chip sort of pass cross. And again, it was similar yeah. to the, the one the week before against Villa. Right. Where it sort of yeah. came right down and perfect for Fleming to bring it down and finish it. And this one was perfect for, you know, aerial threat guru right at the back post to head it back across. And I think it was the, what I think for me from a Manchester City point of view would be most annoying and disappointing about this was that Guru Wrighton, who I think is about, you know, five mm-hmm. foot one, was yes. able to, you know, head it back across and head it back across. And Kerr was still able to bundle it home. Now, to me, there's a the issue. Firstly, they should be coming back across in the first place, get someone out there and head it out or give away a corner or whatever. Secondly, from that position, should you really be allowing Sam Kerr from that position? Because they had a chance to clear it before Kerr even stabbed it in. Should you really be allowing her to, you know, poke it in from there and finish it off? I mean, she's never going to miss from there if you give her the opportunity, but should you be giving her that opportunity in the first place? Right. Right. Yeah. There was just a way, I mean, just way too much space. And, and again, just, I mean, you know, this is a team that isn't, this is a city squad that isn't playing for, except for maybe one or two people. It's not playing for the manager at all and has so many mental lapses and lack broken concentration. Uh, it makes, you know, well, I was about to say a joke that was not appropriate. So I'm going to scratch that joke. Um, I'm not even going to make a joke at all. It's not a joke actually, but they, there's so many lapses in concentration that it's it's just alarming Uh, it really is it's it's alarming the lack of concentration because a year ago you know and less than a year ago actually when when chelsea came to the academy stadium with essentially the title on the line the winner of that match was was probably going to win the league and again yeah you can say yeah that you know city had their full contention of players but there wasn't the mental lapses of of this. Um, yeah. This didn't. That's why I keep saying this should have never happened, um, and for many different reasons. And the mental lapses is one of them. And this was this is an example. G is so wide open in space; it's absurd how she got the ball in the beginning, as you pointed out, is crazy to me. But that's what happened. And and uh, yes, it was a, a moment of brilliance for for Chelsea. That, but it was. City made it a little bit easy for him too at the yeah. same time uh, for that to happen. And of course, you know, uh, Kerr is never going to miss from that point. So there it is. But two nothing was like when I when I was like took a little bit of a break from this match at two nil. Um, the I, I was like, this is this is showing why Chelsea is so good in a way because Chelsea could still play poorly. <laughs> and I mean, and I wouldn't say po- poorly is probably too strong. They could probably not at their best. Let's say that yeah. and still win, be winning on moments of brilliance two to nil. That's having such quality personnel in place uh, that it's that it so forth. But I knew I had, it's like, 
there's too many mental there's too many defensive lapses on the on the Chelsea side. Um, you know, Caroline, we are getting through. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, you know, um, I was not surprised. Um, though I really love G, but I know how much change Sophie Ingle brings to the game. There was a change. It almost looked like a change in formation to a, more of a four in the back. And then Sophie Ingle comes in for G. That changes things a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, just going back to the previous point, if you'd have said to me, you know, back in September, that mm-hmm. Manchester City, you were, you know, going to struggle at the start of the season. I know they, you know, they always do that usually. And I'd have just said, oh, well, soon you'll get better if Manchester City fans ask me um, about that situation. But what surprised me is they're making the same mistakes and they're having the same lapses. And, you know, someone asked me if I thought when, um, you know, when Chelsea played them this weekend, if I thought it was going to be a different game to the one in the cup. And I really, you know, I should have said no, in all honesty, because I thought, you know, deep down, I did think actually Chelsea could just go ahead and score. I mean, they've now scored seven at Manchester City this year in all comps, which is pretty almost unheard of, the fact we scored seven and actually won twice in in Manchester. Uh, Etihad campus, but I, I should have said no because of the fact I wanted it to be, you know, I expected it. But I said I thought it'd be more of a contest. And in the first half, as I said to the person I was talking to, you know, Manchester City did make it a contest, but at the same time, Chelsea were just so good and so clinical. And that's something that's been lacking from their game this year is that ability to be clinical when they have those chances and those half chances and taking them. And mm-hmm. I think that's what you know is really. Good for a Chelsea point of view to see that, but going to be worrying for other sides to see is that, you know, if this is them trying to be more clinical and sort of tighten that up, are you going to start seeing games like this where they don't really give away much calls, they don't play brilliantly, but they just, you know, get those several goals and get ahead. And then suddenly, you know, at that point, the shackles can come off. And I think it's well, that was best demonstrated, I think, by the, you know, by the third. Um, sort of goal. I, I love a good corner routine and I think two is better than one. I think you saw two of them. You saw the first one was the ball into Aaron Cuthbert and we saw that mm-hmm. in the cup game where she was yeah. able to roll it in. Instead this time around we saw the ball played across and that first time it played across I thought when that first ball came across uh, Melly Lurpos on the edge of the box should just shot. Instead she obviously laid it back out wide and they played it back in. I think Magda Eriksson went for her trademark, you know, her favourite bicycle kick. And then it came back across and Cuthbert had that awareness and that vision to pick out Kirby. And I think, you know, that finish from from Kirby was absolutely, you know, absolutely utterly brilliant. People were asking me if she meant that, if she meant to just sort of clip it into that sort of top corner. Um, I 100% she did. 100%. Mm-hmm. That was exactly no what she was trying to do. I've seen mm-hmm. her do that before. It's nothing new. Um, mm-hmm. It's one of her sort of favourite sort of clever little lob finishes, and it makes it so difficult because the goalkeeper thinks it was going wide, and that's why Taib didn't move. And then when it just kisses on the inside of the post, you know that that you know is not causing any sort of issues going right. forward. <laughs> Sorry, uh, yeah, superb choice there. But um, <laughs> I mean, I think you know, I, I think that was really, re- really at that point when it became you know three. That's when it actually finally properly hit me. That mm-hmm. we we're actually going to win at Academy Stadium. Um, right. And I, I know right. it sounds really, really silly, but in many ways, yeah, today, sort of people will say things like, you know, that Gareth Taylor has his sort of issues and stuff, but 
whether it's been Gareth Taylor, whether it's been, you know, Nick Cushing even before that or other managers, Chelsea have had that hoodoo around Academy Stadium. Mm-hmm. And to get that win, you know, to finally get the win there and obviously also to get that, I think, the uh, sort of fourth goal as well, um, to sort of see you're in sort of, you know, you are absolutely in wonderland when you're seeing, you know, Chelsea winning, going to Academy Stadium, winning 4-0, playing so well. They could have scored more. I think, you know, Taib did, to her credit, make a couple of very good saves. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Chelsea did, you know, I think when it was 4-0, they could have maybe pressed the boot on the throat a little bit more if they wanted, but I think it was conserving energy. And mm-hmm. in many ways, I think, you know, you have to be really, really, really pleased with um, sort of that situation because in your wildest dreams, you don't think Chelsea are going to Academy Stadium and, you know, going to win comfortably and win like that. I'd be more confident about than going to do it against Arsenal because I've seen them do it at Wheatsheaf Park before and at Boreham Wood rather than, at, you know, rather than at Academy Stadium. Yeah, and, you know, Emma Hayes said that they played like champions in the second half and I would have to agree. Um, mm. You saw for 45-plus minutes that, you know, is sure, complete, clinical domination on every aspect of the field, um, completely bossing the midfield, completely bossing the back line, and obviously bossing it in the front, in the, the front three. Um, yeah. You could say that city played poorly in the second half and they did, they did not play well. Um, again, going back to a point that was made earlier in terms of, you know, making the same mistakes, you know, the set piece mistakes of not, you know, not, marking players and letting players get by and things like those were, those were mistakes that, you know, it's like, Oh, come on again, again, you know, sort yeah. of the, the, the framework there. Like, can I just get, it's unbelievable. But on the other hand, I mean, the XG that Chelsea had in this match was 2.6 and they scored four goals. Um, you know, in comparison to having an XG of 2.2 against Aston Villa and scoring one. Yeah. Uh, and then having an XG against Leicester of 2.5 and scoring two. Yeah. Um, that's the difference right there is that the clinical edge there. And that's the scary thing because, you know, as you know, football is football and things change and things can change quickly. We saw Arsenal and seemed like they were steamrolling people run into essentially a of almost a buzzsaw of sorts of, of against Tottenham where they were frustrated and disrupted mm-hmm. and, you know, in a frustrate, you know, really frustrated, had some issues definitely with, with some referee stuff flag on that. We'll talk about that tomorrow morning. Um, but, um, but they came out with a draw and we knew this was going to happen. Arsenal was not going to win every single game in the seasons and almost is virtually impossible. So now Chelsea gets their edge back. We saw it with Servette, though one could say that was, you know, not any disrespect to them. It was easy. Um, and they got their edge, you know, they against, uh, yes, a weakened Manchester City side. But again, look at Stuhl, who's on the, still on the pitch. You have Ellen White on the pitch. You have Lauren Hemp on the pitch. You have Alex Greenwood on the pitch. You have Demi Stokes on the pitch. You have Jill Scott on the pitch. I mean, you shouldn't beat them 4-0. But Chelsea did, um, and they did it with an edge. Um, and that edge, could we say it's now back? Um, we're going to see. But this is a good time to get the edge back because, you know, we got Birmingham coming up, uh, get Servette again, 
uh, this week uh, on a Thursday at home because they're not having to travel to Switzerland and then at home against Birmingham and then at home against Juventus. Um, this is a good time to get the edge back. Yeah. I think it's worth noting, I think before Juventus, I think Chelsea have the away game against um, Wolfsburg, I believe. Okay. I, I believe I, it's... That's, that's not what I'm seeing on my schedule that I have up, but you you probably know more than I do. I have I have Servette, Birmingham, Juventus, Reading, and then Wolfsburg is what I have, but that that may be wrong. Yeah, <laughs> so. oh, sorry, you do apologize. There's Arsenal in between that and the FA Cup final. Ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Sorry about that. That's <laughs> that, the one when we were missing. Yeah, it's a small, 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 small matter of an FA Cup final. Yeah, exactly. It's a small. Yeah, match yeah, uh, and so forth. But, so I got a little bit ahead of myself. I, I um, said this to someone else that I think it's an interesting. Um, it's interesting to sort of look at this now because I, Arsenal women, obviously they've had that situation. They've got the game, I think, against uh, Manchester United yes. next weekend. They obviously don't have a Conti Cup fixture either because of their involvement in the league. but they've got I think yeah Kurg in the in the Champions League which you know you know they will win that but then they've got Manchester United then they've got Chelsea in the FCON and then a couple of days later they've got Barcelona and it suddenly it represents a really interesting time for Arsenal because as Chelsea seem to be gaining momentum in a way Arsenal was you know that result could be a you know could be the start of a blip and it could be a very bad time to lose form. Um mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting I you know, I think Tottenham showed the way that teams can do damage against Arsenal. I think United have a chance to do the same thing um, next week as well in a similar sort of situation. Um, so it'll be really, really fascinating to see what happens from that. I mean, in terms of Savet and Birmingham, you would expect Chelsea to come out and get comfortable wins in them both. Although last year, Birmingham did frustrate them um, away from home. Obviously, I think it will be good for... Chelsea, they haven't been at King back at Kings Meadow for a little while, so it'll be nice to be back at Kings Meadow. I am planning to be there next Sunday um, for the game. Um, so, yeah, it'll be uh, sort of good, I think, to hopefully see the club continue to really kick on, and they will feel that you know that's an important sort of fixture, the sort of one where they can not lay down a mark. I'm not going to say that, but they can get an important three points on the board, another good three points. And I think it's worth noting that that game will kick off after or I think while the United game is still on, so they will probably be aware of what Arsenal are doing at the time. And obviously if they're struggling, then, you know, that's even more motivation. Yeah, there's now a one-point difference, um, you know, on the table between first and second. Arsenal still holds that spot uh, and so forth. And and so here I'm going to put in a plug. Watch the United weekly special because because I talked about the very thing, Rob, you just mentioned about the roadmap that – that United could potentially use with Arsenal because because I think we saw a different Arsenal situation there yeah. uh, where, like I said, it, it, the, the words that came to my mind was just disruption um, and um, physicality leading to frustration. And then you saw very clearly, with reason, frustrated Arsenal squad and they, and they were out of form at that moment um and um and so that is the challenge that Jonas Edeval now has is having that game where um 
you know, the, the steamrolling now has stopped with a really sharp break, you know, um, and so forth. And having to then look at the fixtures ahead uh, with so many games and it's in a really rough run. And United could easily, well, eh, okay, maybe fairly easily, um, make it difficult. Um, and But United has their own issues because they got to play City in the, uh, Conti Cup group stage, and then you got to go go with Arsenal. So there's a challenge there, and they're not as deep uh, as Chelsea or Arsenal uh, by far. Um, so there's that piece of it. But going back to Chelsea, um, yeah, I mean, what do you do though? What do you think Emma's going to do in terms of rotation? Knowing like, yeah, you got Servette, and you know, again, no offense to Birmingham, really, but Birmingham's got one point um, in the league so far. Um, it's a home game. What do you think Emma's going to do about ro- rotation uh, in preparing for, you know, more tougher games ahead, including that final? I think it's probably a chance to bring in players like Maren Mielder and Lauren James that have, you know, coming back to full fitness and to form. It's a chance to see some of the younger players um, get a shot. Obviously, Georgia Fox came on, I think, away in um, Savat. I think she might start in midweek. It's a chance to be like Jan Anderson to get minutes. And I think it's just a chance for them generally to rotate and give sort of, you know, give chances out to players to get minutes and to play themselves into the situation. Again, we look at Jessie Fleming. Jessie Fleming has obviously got herself into the, um, sort of, you know, into matches and into get, has got herself into the starting 11 in recent weeks and made herself, you know, arguably undroppable now by the performances she had as a substitute and coming on and impacting games and, you know, really doing what she needs to do. Now, I mean, I think it's, I think it's really important and interesting to say that I'm not necessarily sure Flaming will keep that spot in the starting lineup, but it'll be really interesting to see what Emma does do going forward. Because I think yeah. the only way she can do that is if they change back to a 4-3-3, right. in which case I think they need to play a narrow 4-3-3 to allow Harder and probably Kirby to play as sort of inverted number 10s and have options to drift wide, but also to play in. And then that means you go back to playing a back four and you need someone to come in at left back. I think probably Mielda probably plays at right back, but then... You know, do you maybe even trust trying to play her in cuff but at left back and seeing if she can adapt that position because she's got such a good engine on her? Or do you maybe put Mielder at left back for the experience she has because she's played there before and keep playing cuff but at right back because she's been doing well in, you know, the wing back role and can she adapt to a more defensive position? And that's what I think the big challenge now is for Emma is she's starting to see bits of fruits of labour come together, but now she's got even more options, so she's got to balance the options. Right. And that's uh, incredibly well said. You said it much better than I do. That's why they pay you to do what you do. Um, so, um, because this is what I call a good problem. This is a good problem. Mm. Why? Because you've got players who you now can, uh, who are coming back, who are maybe coming into form, who may be ready to go on, on the field, i.e. Mielda, i.e. Lauren James. Uh, additional, uh, what I call, quote, weapons um, to bring you the challenge of having so many debt now, so many more options. Because the question I have in my mind is like, with all these, with Mielda coming back and, and so forth, it was like, does she stick with a 3-4-3? But yeah, the fruits of the of that labor there, that's coming through. Like, hmm, you see where it works. And there allows for what I really love. This is what I really love flexibility and to be able to say you know what okay so we're playing this opponent today so today we don't really need to do a 4-3-3 we could do a 3-4-3 and then do it that way because 
you know, given the given the opponent, given what their the opponent's strengths and weaknesses, what we got, who's available, who we want to rest because now we can rest people, um, you know, then you know we can do that. Or if it's another game where we need a little bit more fluidity or or and, and so forth, and we want to put people in more familiar positions. Uh, you know, then we can go with a four-three-three and run it that way, based on who we got available and who we're going against. That is a good problem to have because I like the other extreme, which is Manchester City's extreme. They don't have enough players to even fill their bench, so they can't rotate, so they can't really do much changing up of anything because mm. because so many people out, they got to play the same people every single time. Um, that's going to come back. That's coming back to haunt them. Um, so. Um, that's the other problem. That's the other extreme. Here, Emma, uh, you know, has, you know, uh, more, more soon, slowly, with a more solid bench, you know, um, within, you know, people out of form now coming back, and that just makes it a nice problem to have. I, I would love to have that problem in life <laughs> of having options based on the situation instead of having forced into one option regardless of the situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Which I just laid out a defense for Garrett Taylor, but um, but <laughs> you know uh, I just laid out the defense for him. I don't know why, but I'll talk to Kate about that. Um, yeah, so that's, 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 that's a probably a good place to end it. Yeah, that really is. So um, with Servette, um, you know I got to say it's going to be a win, and I got to say it's another three points with Birmingham, um, and this is just prepping for what's to come. Um, yeah, you know in the weeks ahead. Uh, so Rob. Thank you so much. Um, thank you so much for your insights and so forth. It's been a lot of fun. I look forward to seeing you uh, or hearing from you, let's say, um, next week after these uh, these next two games and, and looking ahead um, to what's coming up. It's um, It's been a lot of fun. Thank you again, yeah. Rob. And also to recording the referees forum. Oh, yes. Again, this referees forum is going to be it's going to be it's going to be fire. I, I just, it, I know it's going to be fire. Um, and um, we've been talking off air about how we're going to pull that out in, in tomorrow. Um, it, it's going to be uh, really going to be fire. So check that out. That's going to be, that's going to pop, uh, you know, either t- later, t- later tomorrow after we record on Tuesday or on Wednesday um, and so forth. So meanwhile, please again, smash that like, please subscribe. Uh, if you subscribe, you can get notifications of when that referee forum pops up on there, when the next uh, Chelsea review pops up on there. Um, so, yeah, do it. Just do it. OK. All right. So that'll be it for today. Um, and then we have, um, again, that referees forum. We'll have Josh on later in the week uh, one probably around Thursday to talk about where Arsenal stands now. I'm not sure he really wanted to talk after after what happened over the weekend, uh, but we'll hear from him in the referee forum. Um, And then we'll have Kate on to do yet another uh, autopsy of uh, City. Um, Probably, you know, you know, I'm just going to let her run with it. I'm just let her, I'm going to let her rant for however long she wants to rant. So check those things out. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for watching. And we're going to talk to you tomorrow. Take care, everybody.